Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, president has put together a fantastic legal team, in my opinion, that will serve him very, very well. I hear a lot of the legal arguments they're going to be making, and you've heard them here behind the microphone. No, I'm not providing informal advice behind the scenes. I provide advice right here behind the microphone to anyone who will listen. And from what I can see on these news reports, they are, in fact, going to challenge these articles as unconstitutional, the whole process, the attack on the office of the presidency. And I'm very pleased Professor Dershowitz will have a role, and he says his role is to defend the Constitution, and he's right. But I want to start the program on something you probably won't expect. I want you to see what happens when a red state which emphasizes relative freedom over government, is taken over by the Democrats by one vote in the state Senate and five votes in the General Assembly. And I'm talking about the Commonwealth of Virginia. Now, a lot of you in other states, oh, big deal. It's a big deal. Because you look at this and see the potential that exists nationwide should a Democrat win the presidency. (coughs) Virginia has had Relatively low taxes. Relatively low taxes on gasoline. Relatively few regulations. Um, Really, when it comes to uh, the Second Amendment, it has been one of the better states. And now you're going to see what's happening. The first week of Democrat control of all branches of the government. This is from a radio station, a news station in Washington, D.C., by Max Smith, WTOP. Big changes for Virginia drivers could include fuel-efficient car fees and speed cameras. Just listen to this whole thing. Sounds like de Blasio. New fees, speed cameras, and handheld cell phone ban are some of the measures on the horizon for Virginia drivers under a wide-ranging transportation bill proposed by Governor Ralph Northam and Democratic leaders of the state's General Assembly. The proposal also includes previously announced plans to end car inspections, raising the gas tax $0.04 per year for the next three years, and then indexing it to inflation thereafter. And cutting car registration fees approximately in half. So here's what they're going to do. They'll cut these fees and inspections, and then they're going to put in place a permanent gasoline tax increase. A permanent 
gasoline tax increase, which is linked to the rate of inflation. And here's the problem with something like this. When the economy is out of control, the monetary system is out of control, and your money is worth less, because that's what happens with inflation. So it takes more money to buy fewer goods. That's when they raise taxes. Gas tax hike. State gas tax would rise to 20.2 cents per gallon starting July 1 of this year. 24.2 cents per gallon July 1, 2021. 28.2 cents per gallon July 1, 2020. <coughs> Excuse me, 2023. Sounds like a little. Just think about how much gasoline per gallon you use every year. After that, would be indexed to inflation. The state diesel tax would rise because they want to hammer these truckers. 20.2 cents per gallon in 2020, 27 cents per gallon, July 1, 2021, then indexed for inflation moving forward. Since the gas tax, they write, is one of Virginia's key funding sources for road projects, the Northam administration is proposing a fee on fuel emission vehicles to ensure users pay something closer to the amount that they used to when it comes to roads. So in other words, we have a fuel efficient vehicle that they've been pushing you to get. Your taxes are going up too. Fuel efficient vehicles will be those with a combined miles per gallon rating of 25 miles per gallon or greater. Electric vehicles or alternative vehicle fuel vehicles that run on something other than gas or diesel. So the highway use fee, so there's a new highway use fee, is intended to try and ensure more equitable contributions to our system, says the government. Again, without penalizing people that may have environmentally sound decisions. So under the plan, these drivers would pay 85%... (coughs) Dump, please. Drivers would pay 85% of the difference between the gas tax paid by an average vehicle and vehicle roads today, which gets around 23.7 miles per gallon and so forth. But the fees would be updated annually. So they'll pay 15% less, but it's still going up. It's still going up. So in other words, if the average car were paying $100 in a state taxes a week, these so-called vehicle efficient cars, they'll pay $85 a week. Now, why is the government's business? Well, because the Democrats are running it now. That's why. They say this is a fairer system. Now listen to this. Fee per mile. As an alternative to the fuel efficiency payment, Virginia drivers could sign up for a pilot program with the state DMV to pay a fee for every mile they drive. It's already been tested elsewhere in the country. The incentive to join the pilot will be for drivers of fuel-efficient or electric vehicles who drive less. Let me tell you what this is an incentive for. It's a foot in the door, isn't it, Mr. Producer? They want to get the system in place, the monitoring in place, the enforcement in place, the bureaucracy in place, and that'll be the next step. Drivers would no longer be able to hold a cell phone while driving. Now, a lot of you folks in other states, that's the case, but it's never been in Virginia. 
And police would be able to pull people over for failing to wear a seatbelt. Not the case today. Local governments could lower speed limits in business or residential areas to less than 25 miles per hour. The bill would also allow for more speed cameras. Speed cameras would be allowed on interstates and primary roads designated as safety corridors. Virginia State Police could issue tickets to anyone going at least 10 miles per hour over the speed limit. Unlike tickets issued during traffic stops in those areas, the fines would not be doubled for ticket drivers to get in the mail, whatever that means. And it goes on and on with you truckers. You're gonna, you're really gonna get whacked. Financial shifts. The proposed changes would raise a projected 190 million dollars in the first year. See how they predict? It's more equitable. No, they're tax increases. 366 million in the second year. Over half a billion in the third year. 601 million in the fourth year. Sky's the limit. What else? New rail systems? Of course. Those are SOPs. And then the gun areas. All kinds of new gun laws they have in mind. Let's see if I can find that article quickly. Let's see. I mean, this is what happens. AP, Richmond, Virginia. Some top Virginia Democrats are expressing reservations about plans to ban assault weapons. They wanted to ban Numerous types of weapons. Senate Judiciary Committee moved quickly Monday, this past Monday, to advance several pieces of gun legislation that a Republican majority has blocked for years. They include universal background checks, possible assault weapons ban. Other proposals would restore Virginia's one handgun a month law, a red flag law, allow local governments to ban guns in certain public places. Goes on and on and on. The four bills passed out of a committee will now advance to the full Senate. Democrats are hopeful they'll pass. There's going to be a massive protest on the Capitol in Richmond, Virginia. Antifa has promised to be there. And I suspect the purpose of Antifa being there, even though there's been some articles written about how they oppose gun control, hardly. I think they're there to cause trouble. Violence and to try and turn this into a mess. So the media will be spoon-fed stories about how right-wingers and gun nuts cannot be trusted in order to build momentum for these draconian gun rules in a state that's never had draconian gun rules. I'll give you a further example. I live in a county called Loudoun County, Virginia. It's actually the wealthiest county in America. Yes, we got a lot of government contractors and government here, and as well as uh, technology. It's beyond Fairfax County. It's outside of Fairfax County. That is, it's further west. It used to be called an outburb, but they're building subway system out here, and people drive an hour, hour and a half to work into Washington, whatever. The Republican Board of Supervisors was just overthrown. They now have a large majority of Democrats on this board. And here's the headlines in this week's local newspaper. Proposed school budget seeks 10.8% local funding increase, Mr. Producer. 10.8%. 11%. 
That means a massive tax increase, property tax increase. Here's another headline on the front page. Pay hikes for public employees drive county schools budget challenge. Huge increases for government workers. They just took the county over. They just took the state over. Taxes everywhere. Property taxes. Automobile taxes. I'm sure they'll hit the income tax. In other words, they're going to turn Virginia into Maryland, into New Jersey, into another blue state, and they're going to do it as fast as possible because they have a majority and nothing and no one to stop them. Certainly not morals and values and principles. This is how California was lost. They got their foot in the door, and the leftists in California, the Democrat Party, they raced to the finish line, putting in place voting rules, redistricting rules, taxes, immigration policies, and all the rest that were intended forever to change the state of California and to make it a forever one-party Democrat state. And these other states and Democrats have learned from California. And so that's what they're trying to do to the state of Virginia as quickly as possible. To turn it into a northeast liberal blue state or a California liberal blue state. Ten years ago it was a Republican state. Ten years, that's all it took. The combination of Democrats moving out of Maryland and D.C. into Northern Virginia, the combination of immigration, illegal and legal, and chain migration, people voting in the state that don't really have ties to the state, lack of assimilation, the all-powerful teachers' unions and other government unions, all combined, every state is now facing the same pressure. And purple states are going red, Red states are going purple, and there's going to be a point of no return. This is the state of Virginia today. It's a disaster. I'll be right back. As the new year begins, Hillsdale College thanks you for your loyalty to freedom. Since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of Liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive Imprimus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. You know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. Now, this independence allows the college to focus on its core purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, without government interference. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership in extending its mission to the rest of the country. Happy New Year from Hillsdale College. And to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. What do you think is going to happen over the course of a decade or two to the Commonwealth of Virginia? What happens to all blue states that punish their people? 
where the Democrats redistribute the wealth of some people to support their political constituency. What's going to happen is the productive people in Virginia will leave. A lot of people who believe in liberty will leave. So you'll see depopulation, voluntary depopulation, like you see in New York, New Jersey, California, Illinois, on and on, where people are looking for liberty. These issues of the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, property rights, little things, whether you can use a cell phone while you're driving and so forth, it's not about being a right-winger. It's about liberty. What side do you think the framers would stand on? And so what will happen is that uh, people will begin to leave, and if they start tampering with the income tax and so forth, and maybe have other priorities of the left, busing, who knows what. People will look for freedom. It's like water finding cracks. But this is how it works. And this is the problem. And you can see it all over. The rise of tyranny. The rise of tyranny within towns and counties. The rise of tyranny within states. The rise of tyranny within the national government. The principles upon which this nation was founded are not taught. They're not promoted. They're not embraced. A country can't survive on its founding principles if its founding principles are not indoctrinated into one generation after the next. And if immigrants coming to the country are not assimilated. And all we talk about is government, government programs, your rights based on your physical features or what have you. It's not really America. And it's happening throughout. We have these indoctrination mills that we call colleges and universities. The reason why Bernie Sanders wants as many kids to go there as possible for free, these are the, this is one of the few areas that's not regulated. Because the left controls them, lock, stock, and barrel. Mind control. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll move on to a few other topics so you're not busy calling the suicide hotline. I'll be right back. You hear me talk about Hillsdale College a lot, about its rigorous classical liberal arts curriculum, about its exceptionally bright and patriotic students. 175 years ago, Hillsdale College was founded with a mission defined by four enduring purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. While many institutions have lost their way, Hillsdale College maintains an unwavering commitment to learning, character, faith, and freedom. I've also talked about the great Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College. He's one of the finest Americans I've ever known. And he explains that these four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, remain inseparable in the activity of education at Hillsdale College. He says, learning is difficult and takes more than talent. It takes hard work, which requires character. Freedom is essential for learning, but it is fragile and constantly under threat, so its principles must be studied by all for the sake of its defense. At Hillsdale, faith and learning are integrated toward God because he is the first authority. 
Folks, if you've ever wondered why I love Hillsdale College, now you know. Visit hillsdale.edu. That's hillsdale.edu for more information. Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Remember, that's hillsdale.edu, hillsdale.edu. Levin, making conservatism great again. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. Why do we care what the Democrats say in the Senate? Did they care what the Republicans said in the House? I mean, this is amazing to me. Why are we entertaining anything that the Democrats are raising in the Senate? Did they entertain anything the Republicans raised in the House of Representatives? No. They even violated their own committee rules to silence the Republicans who couldn't call a single witness. So why do we care what the Democrats have to say in the House or the Democrats have to say in the Senate or the editorial page or the Washington Compost or the New York Slimes or any of it? Why do we care? These uh, senators who are scared of their own shadows, these five senators, some of a difficult re-election, They're not going to get defeated or elected based on what the Washington Compost or New York Slime says. Their constituents aren't reading the Washington Compost or the New York Slimes. Those papers in Washington, D.C. and New York City represent Washington, D.C. and New York City. Now, Chuck Schumer is a complete sleazeball. Always has been. He is... Greatly disliked by the vast majority of Americans. Complete sleazeball. He'll say anything. January 14, 1999. Relating to the Clinton impeachment. Cut for a go. But let me say, this idea that they didn't have to call witnesses in the House and they should call them in the Senate doesn't make sense. You call witnesses before a grand jury and you call witnesses before a trial. So there were some on my side, I was not among them, but some on my side who argued strongly that they ought to call witnesses and they resisted it every step of the way. There has not been a good explanation why 60,000 pages of testimony was good enough for the House, but isn't good enough for the Senate. All they have to do is play that audio. But Mark, Lindsey Graham wanted to call witnesses. But they didn't call any live witnesses. I think they took three depositions. So Lindsey Graham lost. Chuck Schumer won. Is Chuck Schumer going to win again? But here's Chuck Schumer last night on CNN. Cut five, go. We need four Republican senators to join all 47 Democrats. We only need 51 votes. It's not 60 in this case. uh, To say we want witnesses and we want documents. And the argument we're making is very, very simple. If you really want a fair trial, if you understand what the founding fathers meant when they placed the, the power of the trial of impeachment in the Senate then maybe some of these people will rise to the occasion. What what do they mean, Chuck, when they said that? That you call only one party witnesses and not another party's witnesses? That the Senate must go along with an unconstitutional 
rampage of mobsters in the House of Representatives? Is that what the uh, framers meant? And you Democrats don't believe in the Constitution anyway. The New York Times says we were founded in slavery in 1619. Your party says, and the people who support your party and academia and elsewhere, that the nation was illegitimately founded by slaveholders in order to protect white privilege. Your progressive ideology, which is a aggressive status ideology, a few people wrote uh, Rediscovering Americanism, you folks, right in there it states it. The rejection of the Declaration. The rejection of the Constitution of the United States. And so we don't need lectures by Chuck Schumer or a single leftist Democrat, elected or unelected. Because they don't They don't share our reverence for our founding, for our founding documents, and for our founders. They talk about if we care about the Constitution. We're the only ones who do. When a constitutionalist is nominated to go to the Supreme Court or appellate courts, or even federal district trial courts, they oppose them. They oppose them. They say they're backwards, they're throwbacks, they're regressive, they don't support civil liberties. Chuck Schumer is opposed. He opposed Brett Kavanaugh. And Brett Kavanaugh isn't even a full-fledged constitutionalist. So why do we listen to lectures from a guy like this? As I said on Hannity last night and behind this microphone last night, the Democrat Party has always supported foreign interference in domestic elections. As long as they help them. So why are we listening to them? Why is there any impeachment whatsoever? To remind you. Let's go to cut one, Mr. Producer. I I want to remind you that Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Dick Durbin, none of them raised a finger when the Red Chinese were helping to fund Bill Clinton's re-election effort the DNC, and Democrat candidates with millions and millions of their money. But the phone call the president and you had sees the worst thing we've ever seen. So Chuck Schumer's going to lecture us on the Constitution and on the gravity of the moment. Cut one, go. Anybody remember, this is a Mueller report. Remember all this? Hundreds of subpoenas, hundreds of witnesses. Millions of pages of documents, nothing. They still have nothing. I want to tell you how concerned the Democrats are about foreign interference in our elections. First of all, Obama did nothing to stop the Russians from interfering in the 2016 election. In fact, his administration spied on this president of the United States when he was a candidate. It was Hillary Clinton who colluded with the Russians and the DNC. They paid for that dossier. You know all this. Well, let's talk about the Democrats and how serious they are about foreign interference in our elections. I'll go to my book briefly, if I may. Back in the 1990s, we had a president by the name of Bill Clinton. He was impeached, but he wasn't impeached for what I'm about to talk about. He was running for re-election. The media really didn't care much about this scandal that broke. The LA Times and a few others did. And here's what they wrote. The chief of China's military intelligence secretly directed funds from Beijing to help re-elect President Clinton in 1996. Former Democratic fundraiser Johnny Chung 
told federal investigators. Chung say he met three times with intelligence officials who ordered $300,000 deposited into the Torrance businessman's bank account to subsidize campaign donations intended for Clinton, according to sources. Chung spread around a great deal of foreign money on Democratic candidates and organizations and bought himself repeated access to the White House. He, quote, contributed more than $400,000 to various Democratic campaigns. This is Chinese military money. Visited the White House no fewer than 50 times and brought numerous Chinese associates to events with the President and First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton. That would have been Trump's opponent, you might remember, in 2016. Charlie Tree, a longtime friend of President Clinton, raised $1.2 million in foreign dollars for the Clinton Legal Defense Fund and the DNC. And in March 1996, Tree dropped off a donation of $460,000 at the Washington offices of the Clinton Defense Fund with some of the money and sequentially numbered money orders made out in the same handwriting. He visited the White House 22 times. Los Angeles Times, James Riotti, another longtime friend of President Clinton, who heads the worldwide Lippo Banking Group, pleaded guilty. He was involved. The Times also noted that former Democratic fundraiser John Wong, a one-time official at Lippo, pleaded guilty in the scandal two years ago. What did he do? Wong raised more than $1.5 million from illegal foreign sources, visited the White House 78 damn times. There's your Democrat party. Now, what did Nancy Pelosi say when the red Chinese military was spreading millions of dollars around to the Clinton campaign, to the DNC, and all the rest? She didn't say a damn thing. Where was the independent counsel investigation? There was no independent counsel investigation. Where was most of the media? They were nowhere. Mm-hmm. Live now. Nowhere. These are the people, though, you see on television, wringing their hands about selling out America to foreign powers. How could a president of the United States do such a thing? He can't be trusted. He must be removed. He's a national security threat. He hasn't done a damn thing, ladies and gentlemen. It's Joe Biden and his son who are the crooks. They're crooks. And they don't want anything to come out about that in the U.S. Senate trial. So they keep saying, he's not a material witness, not a material witness. I thought this was a political process. They go back and forth. Meanwhile, this guy, Parzna, Lev Parzna, says now he admits he never met the President of the United States. He's been indicted on multiple felony counts. Him we're supposed to hear from. What happened to Whistleblower? Not allowed to hear from him. So what they mean is only the witnesses we want should be presented. Nobody else is relevant or material. How much longer are we going to put up with this BS? How much longer? And they keep talking about an ongoing impeachment process. These are rogues. These are Stalinists. That's what they are. Waving around the Constitution. That's hilarious. They don't believe in the Constitution. They don't believe in the Declaration of Independence. And you reporters who are listening, and you low IQ little kids listening for various websites, I dare to read Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism because I quote your heroes, the early so-called progressives, 
the chips off the old Mark's block, including Woodrow Wilson. It comes out of their own mouths, their own writings, that they reject our founding principles, that they reject the Constitution's limits, while they wave it around. Tell me something, ladies and gentlemen. They talk about an imperial president. Was Franklin Roosevelt an imperial president? Shutting down newspapers, imprisoning political uh, adversaries, rolling through the Constitution, threatening the Supreme Court, trying to pack the court, shutting down businesses, confiscating currency, and I could go on and on. They don't mind an imperial president. They don't even mind a fascistic president, which is what Bernie Sanders would be as long as they're advancing the cause of their radical ideology. I'll be right back. Lovin. As the new year begins, Hillsdale College thanks you for your loyalty to freedom. Since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of Liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive Imprimus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. You know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. Now, this independence allows the college to focus on its core purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, without government interference. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership and extending its mission to the rest of the country. Happy New Year from Hillsdale College. And to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I understand West Virginia is inviting the freedom-loving counties of Virginia to join it. Northern Virginia need not apply. I will post that, Mr. Producer. You never know, do you? You never know. I just assume, quite frankly. I'm going to back up what I said to you about the modern Democrat Party and their media propaganda wing. And that they reject the American founding. They reject the principles of this country as set forth concisely in the Declaration of Independence. That they reject constitutionalism. I'm going to prove it to you in the next hour. So when you see the practitioners of the faith of status progressivism, you reject constitutionalism and republicanism and individualism, and capitalism. You will know how diabolical they are and how they are using the system to destroy the system. How many times do I have to say it? They're using, excuse me, the Constitution to destroy the Constitution. And they are using liberty to destroy liberty. And that's what tyrants do and that's what tyranny does. Do you understand this, Brian Stelter? Do you understand this, legal analysts? 
They don't give a damn. They live in their own world, which makes them very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. Mr. Producer, by the way, I told you earlier today, I went to the doctor. What did he tell me? You don't have to open the mic. It's full-blown viral bronchitis, ladies and gentlemen. That's what it is. I let you in on this information because you have to listen to me, and I I apologize to you. But I'm not going to go off the air until this is resolved, which is amazing because two years ago I had pneumonia. Now, where the hell this stuff's coming from? Maybe it's the organic food, Mr. Producer. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I had to go back to my old ways, eating bags of potato chips with Hershey bars and having a Diet Coke. My honey, my wife's listening, sweetie, it's a joke, don't worry. She's very athletic, she's a marathon runner, she worries about what I eat, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm obviously none of, none of those things. Although I was athletic as a young man, Mr. Producer. But that's neither here nor there. When we come back next hour, I'm going to prove to you. Those of you who want to know, those of you who are patient, you don't want me to bounce around from website to website, stick with me. I'm going to prove to you that the Democrat Party, its leadership in and out of Congress, that the media in this country... Reject the very Constitution they're waving around. Reject the actual election of a president, unless it's their president. How diabolical and tyrannical they really are. Put that in your damn documentary, HBO. This is going to be a powerful next hour. I hope you'll be with me. I'll be right back. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 All right, we're going to have some fun. When I do book signings, people come up to me and most say, you folks, what I like about your show is that you do discuss philosophy and history. Because Mr. Producer will tell you, sometimes I wonder if people are even interested in what I'm talking about. But I feel you are. You're the smartest audience and the most loyal audience. Otherwise, why come here? You could watch CNN or MSNBC. So let's take a look at this, why I contend that the Democrat Party, the media, the left, completely reject our history and our founding documents, yet wave them around as if they're the ones defending them. And you look at chapter two of Rediscovering Americanism and the tyranny of progressivism. I'm going to do my best. The end of the 19th century, the late 1800s, saw the rise of a movement thoroughly hostile to the underlying principles of the nation's founding. They called themselves the Progressive Movement. The Progressive Movement. 
progressivism was imported from Europe and will result in a radical break from America's heritage. In fact, it's best described as an elitist-driven counter-revolution to the American Revolution, in which the sovereignty of the individual, natural law, natural rights, and the civil society put on a foundation of thousands of years of enlightened thinking and human experience would be drastically altered and even abandoned for an ideological agenda broadly characterized as historical progress. Progressivism is the idea of the inevitability of historical progress and the perfectibility of man and his self-realization through the national community or the collective. While its intellectual and political advocates clothe its core in populist terminology, and despite the existence of democratic institutions and cyclical voting, progressivism's emphasis on material egalitarianism and societal engineering, think of Bernie Sanders as I read this, and its insistence on concentrated, centralized administrative rule lead inescapably to varying degrees of autocratic governance. Moreover, for progressives, there are no absolute or permanent truths, only passing and distant historical events. Thus, even values are said to be relative to time and circumstances. There is no eternal moral order. That is, that was true and good in 1776 and before is not necessarily true and good today. Consequently, the very purpose of America's founding is debased. Debased. By the way, I wrote this in 2017. I'm not going to read you the whole book. I'm going to give you a taste. These are the progressive intellectuals who helped launch this progressive movement. Herbert Crowley lived from 1869 to 1930, was among the leading academic and progressive thinkers, enormously influential. Crowley co-founded the magazine The New Republic, you've probably heard about it, and authored a book called The Promise of American Life in 1909, an essential book among his fellow intellectual jurists, certain powerful politicians, and it had an enormous effect on Theodore Roosevelt, who was a progressive. Among other things, Crowley argued that, quote, to conceive the better American future as a commonwealth, which will take care of itself as the necessary result of our customary conditions and institutions and ideas. Persistence in such a conception is admirably designed to deprive American life of any promise at all. So he's saying fixed principles deprives American life of any promise. He wrote, The better future which Americans propose to build is nothing if not an idea, which must, in certain essential respects, emancipate them from their past. That is, from the Declaration and the Constitution. American history contains much matter for pride and congratulation, much matter for regret and humiliation. Americans must be prepared to sacrifice to that traditional vision, even the traditional American ways of realizing it. 
He says, such a sacrifice, I believe, coming to be demanded, and unless it is made, American life will gradually cease to have any specific promise. So in other words, unless there is a radical transformation, American life is useless. So I write, the American heritage and founding principles must be thrust aside if there is to be human progress. This is their mentality. They are dismissed as outmoded and obstructive, impeding the pursuit of utopian ends, for they are unconnected to the present. Man's society and the political and governing systems must be pliable to meet the special conditions of the day, subject to the commands of a consolidated and amalgamated ruling class. This requires a far-reaching change in education, I write, the culture, and the American mindset. In particular, the sacred rights of the individual, paramount under the Declaration of Independence's order, are said to be an old notion of individualism. They must give way to the new individualist, where the individual is subjugated to the moral power of the state in the name of the general will and greater good. Crowley said, and I quote again, The individual American will never obtain a sufficiently complete chance of self-expression until the American nation has earnestly undertaken and measurably achieved the realization of its collective purpose. He wrote, It is the economic individualism of our existing national system which inflicts the most serious damage on American individuality. See, these were Marxist sympathizers. And they're writing 50 years or so after the Communist Manifesto. But they embrace it. They're trying to Americanize it. Just as Bernie Sanders does. Just as the Democrat Party does. The Democrat Party today, not necessarily in the past, but today, is the manifestation of this movement. And so is the modern media. The American individual achievement in politics and science and the arts will remain partially impoverished, he writes, as long as our fellow countrymen neglect or refuse systematically to regulate the distribution of wealth in the national interest. He wrote, I'm aware, of course, that the prevailing American conviction is absolutely contradictory to the foregoing assertion. Americans have always associated individual freedom with the unlimited popular enjoyment of all available economic opportunities. It would be far more true to say that the popular enjoyment of practically unrestricted economic opportunities is precisely the condition which makes for individual bondage. I told you that the status progressives today which control the Democrat Party and the media and academia, hate America. Doesn't it sound like Mr. Crowley hates America? The American founding, I point out, its principles and institutions and the founders themselves must therefore be disemboweled. In his book, Progressive Democracy, in 1914, Mr. Crowley was quite blunt He said, in part, both historically and theoretically, the American system is based upon an affirmation of popular political authority. 
when the colonists proclaimed their independence of the British Crown and Parliament. The repudiated sovereign had to be replaced with a capable substitute, and this substitute could consist under the circumstances only of the supposed makers of the revolution, the American people as a whole. After the Declaration of Independence, the people, whoever they were and however their power was to be organized and expressed, became the only sorts of righteous political authority in the emancipated nation. He said emphatic, however, as was this assertion of its direct control of its own political institutions by the primitive American democracy. Its willingness to restrict its own effective political power was no less definite and insistent. Now, what he's saying there is, hey, that generation that founded the nation, that gave us the Declaration and the Constitution, their principles don't have to be our principles. They don't get to force those principles in every future generation. He says it did not show the slightest disposition to translate this supposedly effective popular control over the institutes of government into active popular control over governmental behavior. So he's saying they don't get to reach from the grave to the future to control what we can or cannot do. This is the anarchy, ladies and gentlemen, that you hear from Bernie Sanders and the Democrats. This is what they believe. So for Crowley, the entire process, popular sovereignty, existed through representative republicanism, which led to drafting, adoption, ratification of the United States Constitution, was illegitimate since it lacked direct popular voting. In theory, the fundamental law, he said, should have been more completely the people's law. Of course, the irony is that the kind of centralized administrative state Crowley advocated, and which surround us today and is managed by a relative handful of architects, is all but immune from the popular will and completely impervious to direct popular sovereignty. So Crowley was not actually an advocate of popular sovereignty so much as he was an opponent of genuine individualism and constitutional republicanism. Just like Bernie Sanders, just like Nancy Pelosi, just like Chuck Schumer. The latter two being obstacles to a centralized state in which it is claimed that governing authority exists at the behest of the people and for the good of the people. Let me depart from this for a moment and explain something. You and your own life can change all you want. The private sector can evolve and progress and change all at once. We do. What the framers of the Constitution said is, but the government can't evolve, change, from week to week, month to month, generation to generation. We must create, we must create a just system that protects the individual and the individual's ability to grow, to live, and to be unmolested. So the idea that the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution is stifling or smothering progress is a lie. The greatest progress on the face of the earth has been done under the Constitution and capitalism. 
But what the framers did not want to progress in terms of strength, centralization, was government. They stymied the ability of government to grow and to become all too powerful. Crowley wrote, well, let me move on from him. I mean, I've I've got to make decisions here because of the uh, limits of time. Theodore Roosevelt, as I said, embraced him. He called, he gave a speech called the New Nationalism. You be careful, folks, you believe in nationalism. You believe in Americanism. The term New Nationalism, nationalism is one that has been subverted by the progressive status left. And I hear people use it all the time. You're Americanism, that's what you stand for. So here's what Woodrow Wilson said as president of Princeton University in 1907 in a 4th of July address about the Declaration of Independence. Ready? It is common to think of the Declaration of Independence as a highly speculative document, but no one can think it is so who has read it. It is a strong rhetorical statement of grievances against the English government. He's talking about the second half, which has the list of grievances. It does indeed open with the assertion that all men are equal and that they have certain inalienable rights, among them the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It asserts that governments were instituted to secure these rights and can derive their just powers only from the consent of the governed. And it solemnly declares that whenever any government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and institute a new government, laying its foundations in such principles and organizing its powers in such forms as to them shall seem most likely to affect the safety and happiness. But he goes on, but this would not afford a general theory of government to formulate policies upon. No doubt we are meant to have liberty, but each generation must form its own conception of what liberty is, you see? No doubt we shall always wish to be given leave to pursue happiness as we will, but we are not sure where or by what method we shall find it. Mr. Jefferson and his colleagues in the Continental Congress prescribed the law of adjustment for no generation but their own. They left us to say whether that we thought the government they had set up was founded on such principles. He's condemning Jefferson. He's condemning the Declaration. He says, so far as the Declaration of Independence was a theoretical document, that is its theory. Does the doctrine of the Declaration of Independence still live in our principles of actions and the things we do and the purposes we applaud? We're not bound to adhere, he writes, to the doctrines held by the signers of the Declaration of Independence. We are as free as they were to make and unmake government. We're not here to worship men or a document, but neither are we here to indulge in a mere theoretical and uncritical eulogy. And he goes on, trashing the Declaration as he trashed the Constitution. They hate the Declaration, the Constitution, our founders and our founding. They hate America. They seek to fundamentally transform it. That's who Chuck Schumer is. That's who Nancy Pelosi is. And that's who I am. I'll be right back. Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? 
This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. As you know, there's so much more in the various media forms that I'm involved in. I just can't read an entire book on radio or TV. You can read it for yourselves, or you don't have to. I'm just making the case that I'm going to continue, and I have spent my life studying the Constitution, studying our founding, studying those principles and values, and studying those who reject them. And they are on the ascendancy. No republic is guaranteed survival in perpetuity. In fact, none has survived in perpetuity. And few survive as long as we have. That's what this impeachment is about. That's why we fight so hard. That's why we reject the propaganda from the media. And we don't need to listen to Chuck Schumer about witnesses and all the rest. They don't even believe in what we believe in. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, the voice the liberals want to silence. But you can talk to Mark at 877-381-3811. I think it's important to have some context what's going on. The world didn't begin with uh, some link on a website or some newscast today. There's a reason things are happening the way they're happening. There's a reason why the Democrat Party is the way it is. It is at war with our institutions and our principles. It seeks to destroy them and replace them. Listen very carefully to Bernie Sanders. He's an insane man. But he is the heart and soul of the modern Democrat Party and the modern Democrat Party media. You know, you'd pay off your IRS debt if you could, right? But you can't. You know, the money. Now you're asking this important question. Is this the day the IRS shows up at my work, garnishes my wages, seizes my bank accounts, maybe even my home? Let me suggest a way to end your IRS nightmare in this endless stress. Call Optima Tax Relief, America's most trusted tax resolution firm. They're experts in the Fresh Start Initiative, a powerful IRS program that can save you thousands if you qualify. In fact, Optima has resolved over a billion dollars of tax debt for people just like you. Get the peace of mind that comes when you have Optima on your side, standing between you and the IRS fighting to help stop aggressive collection actions and helping to protect your assets. But don't wait. Put your IRS worries to rest. Put them behind you. Call 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. 
800-499-6300. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. It's a pleasure to have our friend, outstanding attorney, Sidney Powell, with us. Sidney, how are you? Great, Mark. Thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. I want you to give us an update on what's going on with the Lieutenant General Michael Flynn case. (laughs) We have moved to withdraw his plea of guilty based on the government's what amounts to a breach of contract. They changed their position, wanted to withdraw and have withdrawn their recommendation that he receive probation. They've advocated that he be put in prison, and they have generally reneged on the plea agreement despite his continued cooperation and willingness to cooperate further in their case against his former business partner in the Eastern District of Virginia that they got a jury verdict in last summer, but the judge threw it out because it was a, a insufficient case, to put it mildly. That's a polite way of putting it. And now we have also motions due in Judge Sullivan's court again by Friday, and we filed uh, today a corrected version of a supplement to a motion we filed last week to explain that Mr. Van Grack, the prosecutor who was in this case and also driving the Eastern District of Virginia case against a former business partner, had actually sought to uh, suborn Mr. Flynn's perjury in that case and effectively tried to get him to make a false statement punishable by five years in prison under 1001. And he knew that's exactly what he was doing because he had edited language out of the plea statement of offense more than a year earlier that would have said that Mr. Flynn admitted filing a Ferris statement knowing it contained false statements when Mr. Flynn had denied that and wouldn't sign that. And Mr. Van Grack agreed and edited that language out of it, then tried to get Mr. Flynn in the last summer to say that he did know there were false statements in the Ferris filing, even though he knew he did not. And we also found an FBI 302 interview form of that um, witness, the Covington lawyer who had represented Mr. Flynn before, saying that Mr. Flynn had the, the <laughs> completely undercutting what the government wanted Mr. Flynn to say. Now, let me try and unravel some of this. Yeah. By the way, what has the judge's reaction been so far? Has he been well, quiet, he tolerant? What? Motion. No, he completely slammed and denied in a 92-page decision our Brady motion. We still can't get the original FBI 302 in this case. And now I've found a witness who says he saw the original 302, and it said Mr. Flynn was honest with the FBI agents. He didn't lie, and that can be the only reason it's missing. Somebody edited that out to get to the next draft, and they've deep-sixed it. Well, he wrote a 92-page opinion. That's a long opinion. It is a very long opinion, denying absolutely everything we asked for, for every reason he could think of. He denied us the original 302. He denied us a statement we know exists in the Department of Justice exonerating Mr. Flynn of being an agent of Russia. Now, why, why would this judge do this? I mean, if he's going to be partisan, he really ought to recuse himself. Yeah, I don't know why he did it. He said he did it according to the law. But uh, you and I both know that Brady requires the government to produce all evidence that favors the defense. And on top of that, he's the judge who enters a standing Brady order requiring it to be produced. 
but he essentially said because Mr. Flynn was never indicted, he pled guilty pursuant to a very rushed plea agreement. He bought the government's argument that they had no duty to produce Brady before he was indicted, and they, he had new, no duty to produce it after he entered his plea of guilty, so there was generally no, never a duty to produce it, even though they knew Mr. Flynn was innocent. Now, you, you can't, you have to wait for all this to be completed before you can seek an appeal. Isn't that correct? Yes. I just want the audience to understand how this works. You and can't will, take these issues up and down. And up. Go ahead. Right, right. You have to wait until he's sentenced to prison before we can appeal anything, if they're ridiculous enough to go that far after our new motions that we're filing uh, next week or our supplemental brief on the withdrawal, because we've got reasons Un, un, stunning reasons to withdraw this guilty plea. This, pro, this prosecution is being handled out of what office? Out of the, dis, the U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, Jesse Liu, the same one who let off the Awan brothers and Mr. Wolf with a slap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Brandon Van Grack is leading the prosecution, and of course he was on Mueller's a special counsel operation working under Andrew Weissman and is what I would call a Weissman wannabe. But ultimately, the U.S. Attorney's Office reports to the Attorney General of the United States. Yes, and is nominated and put in that position by the president who can fire them at will. But I mean, the president isn't going to interfere and fire the U.S. Attorney at will over something like this. I can't think of a single president who would do this. However, he does have a chain of of hierarchy. <clears throat> that chain of hierarchy goes to the office of the U.S. attorneys at the Justice Department. It goes to the criminal division. It goes right. up to the uh, Deputy Attorney General of the United States and to the Attorney General of the United States, correct? And, and yes, and Mr. Van Grack works in the FARA division of the National Security Division, I believe, of DOJ. So I assume they're aware of this case. You've gotten a lot of publicity, right? Well, they ought to be aware of my filing today that explains how Mr. Van Grack attempted to suborn perjury and procure a false statement from Mr. Flynn while he held evidence to the contrary in an FBI 302 of the Covington lawyers. And how is uh, self had made to the plea agreement? Well, you really are caught in a Kafkaesque situation, aren't you? It's unbelievable, Mark. I have never seen such a travesty of justice in my entire multi-decade law practice and hundreds, 500 federal appeals. Are you being treated – I want to ask these questions, but I don't want you to get in trouble with the judge. Are you being treated with respect? Is your client being treated with respect in the courtroom? Uh, the respect in the courtroom has been just fine. Judge Sullivan has been very pleasant in the courtroom. In fact, ironically, he's the judicial hero of my book, License to Lie, Exposing Corruption in the Department of Justice, that you and I talked about on one of your Sunday specials several months ago. And I've bragged on him for five or six years for his tough stand against the government on Brady issues. And he opened up that whole Ted Stevens uh, affair. He did, and, and threw it out. And this case is far worse than that one, far worse. But according to his 92-page opinion, the difference there was that the Department of Justice admitted it was Brady and asked for the case to be thrown out. Well, if we're going to wait for the Department of Justice to admit it's Brady, we got a problem. 
That what, what, what's confounding me, though, is you have new leadership at the Department of Justice, and they're not really uh, intervening in this. Well, they, they might sit up and take note after yesterday and today's filings, because that's the most plain it's been. We attached the redlined version of the statement of offense that Mr. Van Grack himself edited with the email showing that he had transmitted that to uh, Covington, and it makes it crystal clear then, juxtaposed with what happened last summer in the Eastern District of Virginia, that everything since then by Mr. Van Grack and the prosecutors in this case has been retaliatory against Mr. Flynn. So they basically, for the public, they tried to set up Flynn. Yep. They withheld information from Flynn. Exactly, that was favorable to his defense and showed he was innocent. And now they're trying to punish him because he's fighting back through you. And because he wouldn't lie last summer in the Rafikian case. Now, financially, I assume the man is still impoverished. Is that correct? We are working from the Mike Flynn Defense Fund.org. All the lawyers have cut their rates dramatically. I'm working for about what Covington bills its uh, librarian for, and uh, everybody else is working at a lower rate than that, and we are doing everything we humanly can, and the American public has been incredibly generous. Most of our contributions are under $100. People are donating. People on Social Security, patriots on Social Security, are donating $50 a month. A couple of years ago, we we did a Levin surge, and let's do at least a mini Levin surge. Now, it's the Mike Flynn Defense Fund.org. Is that what you said? That's what it is, yes. Mike Mr. Flynn Mr. Producer, let's put, let's put those up on the social sites. And I want to strongly encourage you folks, every little bit helps. The Mike Flynn needs money for his defense, and look what he's up against. He's up against the full power of this, uh, of, of what is this, out, this continuing outrage against an American hero. And he is an American hero. MikeFlynnDefenseFund.org, MikeFlynnDefenseFund.org. No patriot, no hero should be treated this way. Just a small donation. If you can do that so he can continue his fight against uh, what's taking place here, because uh, he's really fighting for us, isn't he? And aren't you? He really is. Every American should be terrified by what we are seeing in this case. Mm -hmm. It can happen to anyone that they want to target and destroy. MikeFlynnDefenseFund.org, Levinites, please. Please help us. Mike Flynn, F-L. Y-N-N, Mike Flynn Defense Fund.org. Okay, Sydney, go get him. We'll do our best. We'll do it. Thank you so much, Mark. And we're not going to quit until we win, and I'm going to expose every bit of it. Friday next week is going to be phenomenal. It's going to be epic. Well, we, we're going to be observing, and, and hopefully we'll report on that too. And thank you very, very much. Thank you, Mark. All right, folks, please. We don't do this often. We can't leave this general on the battlefield alone. Comey tried to take him off, take him out on day one. They threatened to charge his son, for God's sakes. They set him up. They've tried to set him up again. He has resisted them. So basically, they said he wasn't cooperating. We want him to serve a period of time in prison. I think it was half a year or so. He's been in prison. Look at him. 
Look what they're doing to him. We got to do more than shake our heads and wag our fingers. So if you can help, and most of you can help with something, it's MikeFlynnDefenseFund.org. MikeFlynnDefenseFund.org. It's on Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. We don't do this often, but I want to call for an official Levin surge where the patriotic Levinites in Moss are moved to action. We've done this to block amnesty. We've done it for other occasions to help elect Ted Cruz, to help elect Mike Lee, to help elect Marco Rubio, others, and for causes that are dear to us. So this is an official Levin surge by patriotic Levinites like you to please jump in and help. MikeFlynnDefenseFund.org. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. You know, there's a wonderful new site, relatively new, called IssuesInsights.com. IssuesInsights.com. And the site itself is called Issues and Insights. And it's from these great editorial writers who used to write at Investors Business Daily. And that was one of my favorite editorial pages, wasn't it, Mr. Producer? Self-described seasoned journalists. And they are terrific. And they have a terrific piece today by Thomas McArdle, entitled Pelosi's and Putin's Remarkably Similar Abuses of Power. Next hour, I want to get into this. I've been saying over and over again, Nancy Pelosi is fascistic. I don't know why people get upset when I say that. It is a term that is accurate when it applies to her. She is fascistic. And she has followers in the media and in the House, obviously, who are very, very celebratory and, and, and proud of her fascism. Now, they won't call it fascism, but they think it's great the way she runs the Democrats in the House, the way she tries to undermine a presidency, right? Well, they're celebrating her fascistic tactics. And over at I and I editorial board, Pelosi's and Putin's remarkably similar abuses of power. And we're going to get into that the next hour. Shamadi's New Year's inventory clearance sale is on for only one more week because New Year's is over. Start the new decade off right by looking younger than you ever have. Guaranteed your money back. That's a big deal. Just listen to Beverly from Huntsville, Alabama. She says, oh my God, I love this product. I saw a difference the second time I used it. And I recommend to everyone, if they have a problem with their jawline, to get it. And just like Beverly, see that double chin and turkey neck disappear with the famous Genesol jawline treatment with MDL technology. Order right now in the classic Genesol for eye bags and puffiness is yours. Free. Free. Plus Genesol's immediate effects for results in 12 hours. During this inventory clearance, you'll get the incredible Genesol eyelid lift for drooping eyelids. Also free. Call 800-SKIN-604. 
or go to Genesel.com, 800-SKIN-604 or Genesel.com. Order today and get Genesel XV Anti-Wrinkle Treatment, free. All orders will automatically be upgraded to priority shipping, free. That's five free gifts to help you look better. Order now, 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. Or go to Genesel.com. That's Genesel.com. Please don't forget, this Sunday, Life, Liberty, and Levin, probably the most unique program and program format on television today. We have our one-on-one full-hour interview with the ranking Republican on the House Judiciary Committee, Doug Collins, and the timing couldn't be better. And he has some really remarkable things you're going to want to hear, which you can't hear in a five-minute soundbite. That's 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. You can always DVR it if you're going to be somewhere else. That's Life, Liberty, and Levin. I'm interviewing Representative Doug Collins of the House Judiciary Committee. See you in a minute. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello America, Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Pelosi and Putin have a lot in common. That's the editorial at issuesandinsights.com. January 15, 2020. A date which will live in infamy on two continents. How oddly coincidental that the world witnessed massive abuses of constitutional power in both the United States and Russia on the same day. In Moscow, Russian ruler Vladimir Putin suddenly unveiled changes to the Russian constitution that will for all practical purposes render his unrestrained rule permanent. He was prime minister from 1999 to 2000, president from 2000 to 2008, prime minister again from 2008 to 2012, and now president again since 2012. The changes will transfer to Parliament Putin's presidential powers, which he is expected to give up in 2024 as law requires. But in crime syndicates, titles bend to the will of the boss. In the Kremlin crime family, that Tsar Vladimir. Putin tapped Russia's little-known tax chief to become prime minister. He will likely ultimately succeed Putin in a diminished presidency. Like Dmitry Medvedev, who has resigned along with the entire cabinet to facilitate Putin's restructuring, can be expected to be essentially a Putin lackey. Whether in a formal capacity or pulling the puppet strings behind the scenes, Putin has arranged to be Russian ruler for life. In America, such a sweeping shift would require a constitutional amendment, which means years of convincing three-quarters of the state legislatures are convening a new constitutional convention. 
in Russia. It means Putin waving his hand. As freedom in the former Soviet Union slipped further from the grasp of the people of the Russian Federation, the Speaker of the House of Representatives in America was simultaneously misusing the awesome power of impeachment provided by our Constitution. Like Putin, Pelosi has timed her move for purposes of aggrandizing power, waiting until mid-January to let the Senate begin its trial after insisting last year that the impeachment inquiry and subsequent House floor vote had to be hurried to take place before Christmas. Her hope was the Senate Majority Leader McConnell would be intimidated into skewing the rules of a Senate trial to presume Donald Trump's guilt and guarantee the House Democrats' criteria for witnesses would be accepted. Despite a Republican Senate majority, this would improve the long-shot odds of a trial spiraling out of control and against the president and picking off a GOP senator or two. It would thus hurt Trump's re-election chances and help Democrats elect all fortunes overall. McConnell prevailed, but also similar to Putin. Pelosi used a veneer of legitimacy to thwart her nation's voters. Putin remains in power thanks to widespread ballot stuffing, repeat voting, and other manifestations of election fraud. Pelosi's using the rarely employed extraordinary power of impeachment not to remedy high crimes and misdemeanors, as the Constitution directs, but to undo Trump's lawful 2016 election. If not in actually removing him from office, than by blemishing him enough to prevent his re-election. Or if that proves not possible, then by sabotaging Trump's second term. The smiles and ceremonial pens featured in Pelosi's ill-considered signing ceremony that sent two articles of impeachment to the Senate, aping presidential bill signings, exposed the corrupt motives underneath. Putin is indeed interested in disrupting U.S. elections, as the establishment media so often remind us. But opening fake social media accounts to spread disinformation or promoting political rallies and fraudulent political articles, as Russia undertakes, are practices that are no match in influencing voters to one of the chambers of the United States Congress conducting a full-blown charade. Our hallowed Constitution be damned. The strongest interference in American elections is from within. It's from within. If voters recognize that Pelosi and Putin are applying the same debauched principle, her purposes of wielding power, they will mark the common date of their deeds come this November, as the day of infamy it was. Thomas McArdle. appears that Thomas also believes that Nancy Pelosi is fascistic, comparing her with Vladimir Putin. And the truth is, she is fascistic. And she's being celebrated and cheered on by people with a fascistic mentality, many of whom are in the media. Many of whom are in the media. Many of whom are in Hollywood. Many of whom are teaching your children in colleges and universities across this country. That is exactly what's going on. And to swing back to the second hour of this program, 
This is the tyranny of progressivism. The better name is statism, but I swung back to the word progressivism because people didn't understand what I was saying when I was saying statism. They were confused about progressivism. Fine, whatever it is. But people need to know this. And so when you have five Republicans in the Senate who claim to want a fair trial, who claim to want to know all the facts, they miss the entire picture and are giving aid and comfort to the tyranny of Nancy Pelosi and her fascistic conduct. And they think they're going to save their political futures while they're destroying their legacy. I even hear some conservatives now talking about reciprocity when it comes to witnesses. I'm all for that. But they should be fighting harder for dismissal, which they're not talking about. And I don't even believe Mitch McConnell is going to allow a move or a motion to dismiss because he doesn't want to put some of his cherished rhinos on the line with a vote, like Cory Gardner, like Susan Collins, like Murkowski, and others. And I would remind Mitch McConnell this isn't about him or them. It's about the Republic, the Constitution, and the people. That's what it's about. This is an unconstitutional impeachment. If you believe like me that it is an unconstitutional impeachment, if you believe what Mitch McConnell has said on the floor of the Senate so eloquently the last several weeks, then how do you move from that to a trial? And these Democrat senators who will press conference after press conference and issue statement after statement about fairness and impartiality and witnesses, they are contemptible propagandists who despise you despise the truth, and despise this country. The Democrat Party today, as it was during slavery, as it was during segregation, and Jim Crow, is a damnable party. They claim to be for the people. Look at California, they're for the people. Look at New York, the recidivism and the, the criminals being let out of prison. Are they for the people? Confiscatory taxes, regulations, control over individual liberty, forcing people to leave their communities and move into other states where it's more affordable and freer. Is that for the people? Destroying our health care, driving up the cost of health care over the last 50 years. Is that for the people? No, it's not for the people. It's for them. I'll be right back. Let's take a few calls. Let us go to Lori, Pearsonburg, Virginia, the great WSVA. Go. Hi, Mark. Um, I just wanted to say real quick, because I know you probably have a lot of callers, but um, I grew up in the Shenandoah Valley, Virginia. I don't want to leave this state. Earlier this week, West Virginia re 
opened their invitation for some of our border state our border counties to come over and join them um mm-hmm. like when they seceded in the civil war time mm-hmm. so i think the simple answer for the beautiful Shenandoah valley by, by the way i remind people west virginia was on the side of the union go ahead that's right so my family's been in the valley for two, over 200 years. I don't know why I have to leave because... And it's beautiful, Virginia. and you're right. There's a northern Virginia and then pockets, you know, around Richmond and and a few other areas that, that are population centers. They are the tail wagging the dog. And you see this in other states like Maryland, where you have a few heavy pockets of, uh, of uh, a population, metropolitan areas, and they control the entire state. And it is really tragic. And I think West Virginia should open up their invitation to all of our border counties. I thought they, they just did. They, the, the the ones that were left over from the Civil War. So um, there's like two or three counties in the, that didn't come over in the Civil War. I have a better idea, actually. Northern Virginia should join with Washington, D.C. or Maryland. I agree. Take them out. All right, my friend. Thank you for your call. Cody, Lexington, South Carolina, on the Mark Levin app. Go! Yes, Mark, thank you so much. It's truly an honor to speak with you. I wanted to try and, expla- uh, I wanted to try and uh, extrapolate some of your thoughts from the beginning of the show. Uh, and forgive me, Virginians, that I, like the previous caller, I, many of you I know are very saddened by the state of, your, of this state right now. But... Uh, should these tax increases by the Democrat-controlled uh, assembly continue, that's going to leave have people leave, like you had said. Uh, but when when those people leave, generally speaking, who's left? Those that are in support of the of those that agenda, and those that can't leave, likely because they're dependent on some of the liberal. Well, it, if, you're, if you're saying it's a spiraling deterioration of a state, there's no question about it. Indeed. That is, and there's huge ramifications for even the whole country, as evidenced by California. A lot of their state uh, are leaving to other places with more lenient tax laws because you can't afford to live there. And but you also other- have this this bizarre situation where you have, as an example, people leaving New York in New York City. By the way, I'm not talking about the Patriots; I'm talking about the others, right. or they're leaving New Jersey. Or they're leaving Connecticut, and they go to places like Florida. And who do they vote for? The unfortunate, the people that kind of forced them out of their own state in the first place. So they vote for liberals and Democrats and bonds and more taxes. Why? Because they have theirs. Many of them are pensioners Hmm. who work for state and local government, the city government. They have health care for life. They have pensions for life. Then they move to no-income tax states. Just listen to me. This is how you break a country. So the people left behind in New York or Illinois, wherever it is, are still paying property taxes and income taxes for those people, their pensions and health care, who have left the state and gone to a non-income tax state. And what they'll tell you is, hey, we've earned it. It doesn't matter. You've earned it. The economics don't add up. They don't add up. And so the problem is, these people move to these red states. They vote blue. You have immigrants who come here, and through chain migration, bringing an enormous number of family members, 
who are automatically citizens, they have children automatically citizens, and over the course of half a century, when three-quarters of them or so are voting for Democrats, plus the Democrats are leaving the Northeast, they're still voting Democrat. You're destroying these red states. They're being destroyed. Florida's on the cusp. Texas is almost on the cusp. If I told you that 10 years ago, you'd think I'm nuts. If I told you Virginia would be all Democrat, you'd think I'm nuts. It's happening very, very fast. Arizona is on the cusp. Colorado is gone. Nevada is gone. California is gone. These were all Republican states. And so now you have to hope you can win battleground states. Well, the Democrats always have now an easier path than Republicans. Yet 20 years ago, it was thought that the Democrats would have a problem for half a century winning the presidency back. So they they embraced this open border strategy. They fight for it because it empowers them. That's why they believe in open borders. That's why they talk about health care for illegal immigrants. Because they know they're going to have children. And they want them to vote Democrat. Right? That's, that's it. It's, it's an unfortunate series of events, but the only thing that can change that is a, a change, a conscious effort. Well, that. it's great to see the Republicans in the Senate fighting back, isn't it? That is true. That's very encouraging. But there's No, they're more. not. That's the point. They're not doing a damn thing. Hmm. And I, and I blame George W. Bush and Karl Rove and the Gang of Eight, McCain, and, and even Lindsey Graham and the others back then. They were going to sell the country out on this issue. And they never secured the border. They never did what they had to do. This is one of the reasons I admire this president. He's doing everything he can on his own to fight this. Amazing. It's amazing what making promises and sticking to them will do. And you know what's really amazing? You're, ta- you're talking about a man born and raised in New York City in the building industry, a developer, who is not a philosophical conservative, in my view. He's a common sense, quite a traditional guy. But he sees what the other side has done, and he resists them. And he's become more and more conservative. Even while he's been president. I mean, he's really grown from that perspective. Philosophically, this is why I get so furious when conservatives attack him. You can disagree with some of his issues, but why are you trying to sabotage him? And the point is, he sees it. He's in the Oval Office. He sees the problem. And he fights it. So how interesting from a historical perspective is it? You have a man who had no real love of the Republican Party. He'd been a Democrat, been a Reform Party, been an independent, not a, in a, a philosophical conservative, that he's leading the fight. A man, a very wealthy man out of New York City who was a developer. Isn't that remarkable? It's remarkable. God bless our president and our And we should be celebrating him, exactly, and celebrating what he's doing. When we come back, somebody who's gotten a lot of attention the last 48 hours, Senator McSally, and her battle with CNN. We'll be right back.
Levin, a champion of freedom. You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. You know, computer systems and cars are the new normal, from electronically controlled transmissions to touchscreen displays to dozens of sensors, but all this advanced tech is expensive to fix if and when it breaks. That's why I have CarShield. I have CarShield on our 2010 Camaro. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. And CarShield has helped over 1 million customers. So drive with confidence knowing you got coverage from America's number one auto protection provider. Whether you have 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles on your vehicle, it's inevitable something's going to break. Get covered by CarShield today. Call 800-CAR-6000, mention code LEVIN, 800-CAR-6000, code LEVIN, or visit carshield.com, use code LEVIN, and you'll save 10%. That's carshield.com, code LEVIN, or 800-CAR-6000, code LEVIN. A deductible may apply. Senator McSally, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Mark? I'm doing great. Now, the media. Let us first play for the audience we did yesterday uh this fellow manu raju i've had a run-in with this guy too by the way manu raju and you you're there you are walking back to your office and he tries to corner you with a democrat talking point cut 10 go Senator McSally, should the Senate consider new evidence as part of the impeachment trial man you're a liberal hack i'm not talking to you you're not going to comment senator you're a liberal about hack. This? Wow, how offensive, Senator. How dare you call a liberal hack a liberal hack? I mean, I've never heard such nasty language before. Now, here's a montage. By the way, CNN rages for hours. They are furious. They can't believe that you attacked the defenseless Manu Raju. You, a former fighter pilot, you need to know your place. So anyway, here's the montage. Cut 11, go. Based on the mutually agreed fact of her slur against Manu Raju today, I think it's fair to say that McSally's days of engaging in rational discussion are over. And by, and by the way, Senator, this is a guy who interviewed Stormy Daniels for like an hour. Anyway, go ahead. Shocking moment that was beneath the dignity, d- dignity of how a senator should behave. And it is a very inc- incredibly telling moment. I mean, it's obviously indecent and based Bene- on... Beneath the dignity of a senator... Senator, did you ever drive a car on Chappaquiddick? <laughs> I, I, go ahead, go ahead. Accountability. My reaction was that her behavior was disgraceful. Behaving disgracefully. It was disgusting, it was awful, it was an awful, Disgusting? Awful. Disgusting? Go ahead. That she did, it's awful. Oh my God. Called him names. She thinks that that's going to score political points for her. People in Arizona are smarter than that. It's harmful to democracy. Calls him a, a nasty name. Just, it just demeaned the office. It wasn't exactly what Sarah Palin used to like to call a gotcha question. I, and we're not, I'm not being defensive of him because he's my colleague. When they tell the news media to go away, they're telling you at home to go away. That's not oh, just about geez. us, it's about you. They're attacking a fundamental um, part of American freedom. Revealed her contempt for professionalism. All right, stop. I've had enough. I'm getting a headache. Senator, let me ask you a question. Did you fight for this country? I did. I put my life on the line for it. 26 you... years in uniform, 325 combat hours in the A-10 Warthog. Did you, uh, were any of these people at CNN, uh, did you see any of them in any fighter pilot positions? Uh, not that I'm aware of, no. I, I certainly, of, of the constitutional freedoms that I fought for, 
One of them was freedom of the press, a neutral press. (laughs) And so were you threatening freedom of the press when you told this guy basically to knock it off and, and, you know, get lost? Of course not. I was simply calling a spade a spade. I'm a fighter pilot. I talk like one. I've always had a reputation in the military of saying what everybody else was thinking. And we all know the liberal press and CNN fake news is so biased and so unobjective and, and, you know, is blinded by their hatred of the president and conservatism and all Republicans. And it's just laughable how they responded. They didn't spend any time on talking about USMCA and the big win we have uh, for our country that passed yesterday. They wanted to spend time with the crazy uh, and that wasn't all of it, right, that you just played. There was even more. Of oh, no, I'm getting a headache from it. I can't stand it. They go on and on and on. They all say the same. My God, she's threatening freedom of the press. My God. Yeah. Meanwhile, they're right on to their pablum on the next story and the next story. You're not threatening anything or anyone. You called the guy what you called the guy. By the way, I've called them worse, just so you know. You've called the guy what you called the guy, and they don't like it. Yeah. Now, uh, they, don't, they, they, don't, they don't mind, you know, uh, again, in general, their ridiculous, liberal, biased, agenda-driven hatred uh, and propaganda that they peddle uh, in, the, in the mainstream media. Like, they don't have to apologize for that. Uh, but, you know, we fight back, and all of a sudden it's, like, not ladylike <laughs> and unbecoming. Honestly, it's, as you know, the undertone is also that somehow they thought, you know, I'm under stress and I they got to me or I'm just breaking under the pressure. I commanded men and women in combat. Trust me, uh, <laughs> CNN does not have me break under pressure. I chose to do this. I decided to do this. I didn't raise my voice. It wasn't in a bad emotional woman day for me as a strong conservative woman. I decided to, you know, speak my speak my voice. Sam McSally, did you call anybody Hitler? Of course not. Mussolini? Stalin, a neo-Nazi, mentally unhinged, a deplorable. Did you call any of them what they call us? Mm -hmm. No, I don't think you did. You simply said the guy's a liberal hack. And then they circle the wagons that you're attacking the First Amendment. I don't think they understand. Who does the First Amendment belong to? Doesn't it belong to the American people? Exactly. And you're voicing your... there's nothing uncivil about it, of course, right? I'm allowed to... I'm allowed to speak my mind um, and do that respectfully. Uh, again, it, I didn't raise my voice. Um, I didn't come unhinged. I just spoke my mind. And, and everyone should be allowed to do that regardless of who they are. I, I mean, when, uh, honestly, uh, some of the poor people who do, who watch these cable networks for a period of time, they hear a lot worse than this. Yeah. From, I mean, yeah. from paid contributors, from hosts. From so-called journal, they hear a lot worse than the phrase "liberal hack," don't they? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, right. I mean, the things that they call us, the things they call our president. Uh, I think one of the clips they said something like, "I can't imagine why anyone would vote for Martha McSally." I have a question for them. I can't imagine why anybody would watch your news. <laughs> you By the know? way, they're not. Unless they're, yeah, unless they're tra- you know, they're trapped in an airport. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, How do they have a monopoly at these airports? You ever seen anything yeah. like it? That's yeah. I spent a lot of time traveling, so uh, that needs to that needs to be fixed. Needs to be fixed. How about a little diversity? 
Uh, Well, listen, I want to thank you for taking on Manu Raju, who apparently can't defend himself. He needs the whole slew, the whole gaggle over there at CNN to defend him for 24 hours. It's been going on for 24 hours. Right. Did did you think when you told this guy to basically get lost that this would go on for 24 hours? No, I, it, it was not newsworthy. Uh, it, was, it was just me responding to him and the fact that they are so hysterical about it. It didn't, again, put on anything. Really, they should have been focusing on the passing of USMCA yesterday. Big win for President Trump. Big win for the country. Yeah, it's, it's insane how they have responded to this. We have uh, liberalhack.com if people want to buy a T-shirt. <laughs> You're a liberal hack, buddy. <laughs> so they can, they can let let me ask website. you something. You're running against. Who are you running against? Uh, we usually don't name your opponent, but uh, his name is Mark Kelly. No, I want to name him because this guy's been okay. running around the country. Yeah. Who wants to? Who's attacking the Second Amendment? I understand the horrific event that happened to his wife. Don't get me wrong, but attacking the Bill of Rights and the Second Amendment doesn't fix that. Mm-hmm. And he's been on this 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 push for a very very long time, and so he's getting nationally an enormous amount of money pouring into your state, isn't he? Oh, it's unbelievable, Mark. Uh, he's Schumer's selected candidate. He raised $20 million last year. I had $7 million of uh, attack ads on me last year. Uh, we actually have been successful in the support we're getting around the country. We, we raised more than any other senator last year, and I've only been in office for a year. But my opponent is uh, bringing in this national money from the coast, uh, the liberals, the elites, low-dollar donors. Uh, they know that they can't flip the Senate unless they go through Arizona. Chuck Schumer knows that. He's going to have to pry the Senate majority out of my cold, dead hands. Uh, I am standing on that wall for our freedoms, uh, standing on the wall for the opportunities and the freedoms that I fought for in the military, uh, and that's what's at stake in this race. If people want to help you, where do they go? What do they do? They can go to McSally4Senate.com. We'd love if anybody can get you know help out, donate whatever you can, invest in our race to make sure that we hold this seat and we keep the Senate majority. <clears throat> I'm getting nervous about Arizona. Arizona's kind of purplish now, and it's moving towards blue, and they think they can knock it off like Colorado and Virginia. Yeah, we're still right of center. Unfortunately, we do have people uh, you know, moving from the failed policies in California as the middle class disappears, and sometimes they don't change their voter registration when they get here. But for a Democrat to win in Arizona, they've got to win right-leaning independents and moderate Republicans in addition to the Democrats. And we've just got to make sure my opponent is undefined. He's trying to pretend he's not a Democrat. Uh, he's going to be running away from his nominee and pretending he's not with them. But make no mistake, his first vote is for Chuck Schumer. And they decide the agenda. And the crazy hard-left agenda these, these guys are talking about, he's on that team. And that's what's at stake in this race. Didn't we just see this play out in like, <clears throat> excuse me, 40 congressional districts that went for Trump and were yeah. largely Republican, they lie and they get their votes and then they flip and they back Pelosi and impeachment and all the rest. Yeah. We just exactly. saw that. Yep. And look, it's the suburban. We often talk about suburban college-educated women. That's me. I'm a suburban college-educated woman. I've broken barriers for women and girls. You know, the first to fly in combat, first woman ever to fly in combat, first to command a fighter squadron in combat, earned the Bronze Star, served our country, uh, you know, took a lot of uh, challenges to do that. But I really hope that people can get past the lies, see me for my life story and what I've been fighting for my whole life. Don't believe the propaganda they're hearing uh, and make a good choice for freedom. 
You know what? <clears throat> I wasn't so sure about you, but I kind of like you now. I'm talking about <laughs> politically, politically. So uh, I think I think we're going to have you back, if you don't mind. Absolutely, Mark. Absolutely. All right. I'd love to. You take care right, of yourself. God bless you. Thanks uh, you a lot, too. Mark. Bye-bye. That's true what I said, isn't it, Mr. Producer? I'm liking her, the way she's taking these people on. What am I supposed to do, take a break now? All right, we'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Stick with me, folks. We'll duke this out together against the left. The media, it's hilarious. Ronan Farrow and Brian Stelter are going to be working with HBO on a documentary about the media. They are the media. They are the media. But you can't have diversity in the media. If you can't have diversity in our newsrooms, you can't have diversity outside our newsrooms. So the fascistic mindset of Nancy Pelosi is the fascistic mindset of many of the people who are so-called journalists today in many of these so-called newsrooms. They've been warned about this for almost a century, but there they are. And when you have a fascistic mindset, what do you do? You don't report on the Holocaust and your propagandist for Stalin, who's wiping out the Ukrainians. Deborah's home was stolen. I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. Now, this is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to her home online, filed fraudulent documents, claiming they owned it. And it gets worse. She said, I was evicted from my own house and 85 grand in equity, gone. Nobody believes you can get a home stolen this easily, she says. Now, folks, this is why you need to get home title lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. I would go there now, register your address to see if you're already a victim, and maybe you don't know about it. Then sign up to help protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah and many others. And to get started, excuse me, I got you 60 risk-free days of protection. 60. So please go to HomeTitleLock.com, protect your home. Home HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. It's been a bruising week. And the brass knuckles will be on next week. And I hope you'll stick with us. Three of the men who are now on the president's legal team were interviewed on Life, Liberty, and Levin over a course of a year. Robert Ray, former independent counsel, Whitewater. Ken Starr, former independent counsel. And Alan Dershowitz. Stick with us, folks. We know what we're doing here. And I have faith in you. And I have faith in our country. In honor of you, every Friday... Here we go.
The week is officially over. The weekend begins now, Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, Life, Liberty, and Levin. Please don't miss it. DVR it if you must. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, all the people who protect us. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Zelda. And good night, Gigi. Thank you, Mr. President. Stand strong. We are standing with you. And I want to say good night to my dad, my mom, and Leo. See you Monday.